Hello. We want to thank you for joining our Living Messiah family by downloading this podcast. We hope it blesses you and enriches your life. We also want to encourage you, uh, if you can, and if your heart is so moved, to support this ministry by going on our website, livingmessiah.com, and donating to help us to put these podcasts in every nation, every place, so we can bring these messages to change lives, to help people grow in the Word of God. Once again, thank you so much for being part of our family. Shalom. Thank you guys for coming out here on Tuesday evening to look at the Torah. Uh, let me open in a word of prayer. Well, Father God, thank you for the wonderful weather we've been having. Thank you for the pretty day. I thank you for this group of people that uh, found time in their schedule to come out and look at your, look at your word. I'd ask that you bless us tonight as we study it. Help us to uh, listen to each other and to uh, learn from other people. And I just appreciate the fact that you work in a group. You work in all of our hearts when we do this. Uh, steel sharpens steel. Thank you so much for your word. And uh, just thanks for blessing us. In Yeshua's name, amen. Okay, I always, even though you guys are probably tired of it, I always like to talk about where we are so everything sits in context, you know. Um, Deuteronomy, does anybody know what the Greek word Deuteronomy means? Does anybody remember? What does Deuteronomy mean? De Deutero is second. It's two or second. And nomi, as you I'm sure know, is law, right? So it's second law. And so they gave it that name, the, uh, who would it be, I guess? I guess it was the people that did the Septuagint, gave it that name because it's the second law, it's the second telling, if you will. And what it really is, is it's Moses' monologue. Moses is dying. Moses is 120 years old at this point, and he's, he's got all these Israelites who he's been wandering around in the desert for 40 years with, camped out on this plateau that looks over the Jordan Valley, the Dead Sea's over here, and they can look at the hills over there, and they can see the city of Jericho, and they see the hills of, of uh, Judea and the Jordan River coming down. And God told him, you're not going over there. Instead, you're going to die here, and um, they're going to go over there and take the land that I promised Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Um, we talked about why that happened. But anyway, this is Moses talking to the people. The book of Deuteronomy is... Oh, I don't know, probably 100% a quote of Moses. It's Moses' dialogue, monologue, to the people of Israel, and he's speaking for God, by and large. Although he spends a little bit of time speaking for himself, too. He blames them for the fact that he didn't get to go across, for example. But anyway, um, that's what we're doing. And he's, he's been doing this now for 10 chapters, and he's reminded them of the Ten Commandments, and he's reminded them of all kinds of stuff, and he's been warning them about things that they need to look out for. He's, uh, it even tends to get a little repetitious. I'm sure that tonight we're going to read some stuff, and you're going to say, didn't I just read that? And the answer is, yeah, you did. Uh, I guess at 120 years old, you can repeat yourself a little bit if you want to. Anyway, so last week we were in uh, chapter 9, and Moses was, well, first thing he did at the beginning of chapter 9, he reminded the people that... <coughs> God's not, God's not rewarding them and bringing them into the promised land because they're 
righteous or they're specific or particularly deserving or anything like that. He's doing it because of the promise he made to their forefathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So lest you get to thinking that you're something special, don't. And then he goes on and he's talking. He's been re reliving past history, and he talked about the golden calf. And we went into that in some detail about the episode of the golden calf. Moses, if you remember, was up on the mountain getting the Ten Commandments the first time. How many days did he stay up there? Forty, right? Stay up there 40 days and 40 nights. And at the end of that time, God told him, well, you need to get down there and check out your people because they've already gone astray. Um, they're busy out there worshiping foreign idols. So go take care of your people. So Moses goes down there, and they're all dancing around or worshiping this golden calf. And this, Moses is telling this story. We read the story in Exodus as well. Yes, in Exodus, I think. Yeah, anyway, it's in there. Um, and so this is Moses telling the story. Does somebody remember one of the things we learned from Moses telling of the story that we didn't learn in the, uh, the version that's in Exodus? John. That uh, he went to God to save Aaron? Is that right? Yeah, yeah. Well, one of the things that we often talk about in the first reading of the thing and back in Exodus is how come Aaron got off so light? I mean, uh, Moses specifically left him in charge of the people. He says, you take care of the people. I got to go up and, and see what God wants on top of the hill here on top of Mount Sinai. And he comes back and, and Aaron, I, my favorite line, you know, uh, Moses looks at Aaron and he says, my gosh, what have you done? How did you let these people get so out of control? And he, he kind of has some half-hearted excuse. He says, they gave me all their jewelry and stuff, and I put it in the fire and out popped this calf. <laughs> I've always liked that. But, but anyway, it, it, in this version, Moses talks about how he went to God and he specifically said, please, you know, he, he interceded on Aaron's behalf. And you know, God, obviously, God does what God's going to do. But he, according to, to Moses, at least, he thinks that uh, God must have listened to him because Aaron ended up, like I say, coming out of the whole deal rather unscathed, really. I've, I figure, you know, God knows what he's doing with each of us. and He knows exactly what we're capable of, both good and bad. And he knows, you know, he knows when it's our fault and when it's not, so to speak. And I think Aaron probably wasn't the most strong-willed, leader kind of a guy. Of course, neither was Moses for that matter. But anyway, so I, I think God cut him some slack. That's my opinion. Anyway, we talked about that. Um, and he, he goes on and he talks about other times that they have, they, the Israelites have screwed up. Like uh, he makes a big deal about um, when they sent the spies out and uh, they came back, you know, God had told them, you guys can go take this land. And they came back, and eight of the ten spies, no, ten of the twelve spies came back and said, oh, man, it's full of giants, and we're going to get creamed. God got angry at them for that, and Moses blamed them for that. But anyway, let's, uh, unless you have some things that you want to talk about specifically, we can move into chapter 10. Anybody have anything you want to add? Now, I have a little, you know, I read the, the nearly inspired version, and it has little headings for different portions here. Mine says, tablets like the first one. Did we talk about those last time? Tablets like the first one, chapter 10? I'm not talking about any particular verse. 
this is, Moses is continuing to tell the story of the, the golden calf, you know, and how he got mad, and he threw the tablets down, and they broke. So uh, chapter 10 is going to talk about how he got a replacement set. Okay? We didn't talk about that, right? No. Good. Does somebody want to read from chapter 10 at the beginning down through verse 11? Okay. Lisa has volunteered. At the time, Yahweh said to me, carve for yourself two stone tablets, like the first ones, and ascend to me, ascend to me to the mountain, and make a wooden ark for yourself. And I shall inscribe on the tablets the words that were on the first tablets that you smashed, <laughs> and you shall place them in the ark. So I made an ark of cedar wood, and I carved out two stone tablets like the first ones. I ascended the mountain with the two stone tablets in my hand. He inscribed on the tablets, according to the first script, the ten statements that, that Yahweh spoke to you on the mountain from the midst of the fire on the day of the congregation. And Yahweh gave them to me. I turned and descended from the mountain. And I placed the tablets in the ark that I had made, and they remained there as Yahweh had commanded me. The children of Israel journeyed from Beirut B'nai Ya'akon to Moserah. There Aaron died, and he was buried there. And Eleazar, his son, ministered in his place. From there, they journeyed to Good Gold. Good Gold. <laughs> and from Good Gold to Yotba, the land, of, the land of brooks of water. At the time, Yehovah parted the tribe apart, wait, set apart the tribe of Levi to carry the Ark of the Covenant to Yehovah to stand before Hashem and minister to him, and to bless his name until this day. Therefore, Levi did not have a share and a heritage with his brethren. Hashem is his heritage, and, and Hashem, your God, has spoken to him. I remain on the mountain, I remained on the mountain as on the first days, 40 days and 40 nights. And Yahweh listened to me this time as well. And Yehovah did not wish to destroy you. Yehovah said to me, Arise, go on the journey before the people. Let them come and possess the land that I swore to, their for to your forefathers to give them. Okay. Um, interesting things that we learned here that we didn't learn again the first time. So who chiseled out the second set of tablets? Yahweh did, didn't he? Huh. Moses. Oh. Moses, because God specifically says, chisel out two stone tablets. But he, and in, in, like the first ones that you broke, and he, uh, he, he took them up. Now, it does say that in verse 4, it says, Yahweh wrote on these tablets what he had written on the others. But, and it's not clear. If you go back and look at the, the other uh, uh, story of the Ten Commandments, it's not clear that the first set, it's not clear who, who actually chiseled out the first set either, for that matter. Um, 
but there is one, one Marvin, what, John? Since he's retelling history, mm -hmm. it's the first time we've heard about this wooden ark. Well, it's the first time, yeah. Because this is not the Ark of the Covenant. This is well, yeah, it is. This is is it? Yeah, but it's uh, it's a different telling of the story than what we heard the first time. It it sounds to me like he's telling him to make a wooden box, and he's calling it to come down off the mountain so he doesn't break them again. Well, you could be right. I mean, uh, I don't let me know. tell you what the reason the the first one was. But he the, didn't make the he didn't make the Ark of the Covenant at the Golden Calf. It was later on. Fair point. Fair point. Now, it's hard to say about the chronology of that because Exodus, um, sometimes Exodus is not completely chronological. But let me, let me go on with what my thought is. When he says he built this wooden chest out of acacia wood, um, that's exactly what is said in Exodus. And it was built out of wood and it was covered with gold. Okay. Now the lid was a piece of solid gold, but the rest of the thing was covered with gold. And that's where the Ten Commandments were kept. Now, you're, you could be right. This could be a different one. Uh, when it says, I made this chest, um, in the first telling back in Exodus, do you remember who we are led to believe made it? These, these artisans. Bezalel. Uri? Uh, who? Uri? Uri. Uh, Bezalel was the name that comes to mind. There's another one I can't remember. Yeah. Anyway, some other guys that are specifically addressed in that part said they were craftsmen that God had endowed with specific talents and capabilities, and they made they made all the utensils. You know, they made everything. Um, and here it is him saying he did it. Now, the way I looked at this, and this is just me, and it could be wrong. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, uh, I could go with what you're saying. He could have said I made the box when really what he's saying is. I was. I told these guys to make this box. <laughs> so he caused the box to be made, even though he himself didn't make it. I'm saying he could have been saying that, but you could be right too. Um, if it's a different box, then it was obviously replaced with the one that was in the ark. And you make a good point in that when the Ten Commandments were given, the tabernacle and the ark and all that stuff probably hadn't been built yet. Yeah. Yeah. So that's a very good point. Don't know. May have had a wooden box, and they stayed in there until they finished the the uh, Ark of the Covenant, that the one that they have in Indiana Jones, and then and then they put them in there. So you could be right there. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, could be. Anyway, let's go back to going down to verse six. Now. You just read right along like you should have been, Lisa, no problem. Uh, but my Bible shows from verse 6 through the end of verse 9 is parentheses. It's a parenthetical addition. Does anybody else's show that? I wouldn't expect yours to. Does yours does? No, not necessarily. Yours does? I don't. You know, typically, uh, that doesn't mean that it doesn't belong there. But it means that somehow or another it was added later. Or, I mean, when I say later, all I mean was by perhaps not Moses or perhaps Moses. But, I mean, it was, it's, it's not like it's real questionable, but it's, uh, I don't know. There's other places where it does it. John, go ahead. Well, 
what's the Hebrew what's the Hebrew letter for a parenthesis? There isn't one, as there far as one. I know. Good point. Unless there's some way they offset it or something in the Torah scrolls. I don't know. Uh, that's a very good point. Yeah. I understand. I would be very surprised if you didn't. I know what. Let me predict what you're going to tell me. Well, uh, they do use parentheses in the prophets, and they do so, so, sometimes they do for for to show the meaning. In this, there's just no parentheses, and so you know. Well, the prophets I, are written a whole lot later. Well, yeah, but I mean, I'm just saying that they they use it for to to finish a sentence or whatever. But here they don't, it isn't parenthetical, so I don't know what the difference is. Okay. My, mine is in parentheses. Okay. Um, I don't, it doesn't really matter. It's not that big a deal. But it is kind of parenthetical in that it's not part of the story necessarily. I mean, it, it's, a, it's a kind of an aside. It's kind of a, a short little rabbit trail because it talks about they traveled from one place to another place and talks about Aaron died. Does anybody remember the thing about Aaron dying before? Yeah, John? Can I go back to the parentheses? Please. Uh -huh. I don't remember if it's the first time. The first time I remembered is when it says in Numbers that Moses was the humblest man that ever lived. Yeah. yeah. I just think yeah, that's that, funny. Uh, and you could see why that might be parenthetical. <laughs> right. More, it's than like he likely, had the, more than likely, Moses didn't write it. <clears throat> he had to go to the bathroom, and somebody put that in there yeah, before yeah. he came back, because he can't write that, otherwise well, I think the, the one that I always remember that's parenthetical like that is the one in the, in the gospel, where it's talking about the, when Yeshua talks about it's not what goes into a man that makes him unclean, but what comes out of him. And it says, parenthetically, thus he declared all foods clean. In the parentheses say, um, in the number A, this, at the time the Lord separated the tribe of Levi mm -hmm. to build the ark and the covenants of the Lord to stand before the Lord to minister to him and to bless, and to bless in his name to this day. Yep. Uh, uh, I think in the parentheses he want to say, these tribes be shoes to bless me all the time. Yeah, but that, okay. It doesn't necessarily have to be in parentheses, but that's okay. You're probably right. That's the other thing that's in there. And that idea is not new. That idea is not new. Uh, we've read before, um, as a matter of fact, back when the golden calf thing happened, and uh, Moses said, all you who are, you know, on Yahweh's side, come put your sword on your side and come here and, and we'll wipe out these people that were uh, worshiping the other gods. Who, who was it that did that? The Levites. So, um, and he says several times in Numbers, the Levites didn't get any territory because their territory was God. They were special. They were set apart to be the priests, the representative of the people to God and God to the people. So, that's, that's all true. That's not, there's nothing terribly controversial about, it, about any of that. I'm just bringing it up, just talking about it. Yeah, I, it's, it might just be a clarification. Then in verse 9, it goes on and talks about Moses is back to the story now. He stayed on the mountain for 40 days and 40 nights, just like the first time. 
And God listened to me this time also, and it was not his will to destroy you. Go, he said to me, lead the people on their way so that they may enter and possess the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. Did you have a question about the death of Aaron? Oh, I was just going to mention that. I was just going to say, does anybody remember the story about when Aaron died? He said, go up and take all your clothes off. and and Three, three people went up on the hill. The hill was called Mount Hor. Whenever I was in, we lived in Jordan for a while. Um, that is just south of Petra. And you can see it. It's real clear. And on top of it is this white adobe-looking shack kind of a thing. And they'll tell you that's Aaron's tomb. You can go up there and you know, see Aaron's tomb. Now, it's a big old hike, and I never felt like doing that. And not only that, but after seeing Lot's cave, I wasn't too impressed anyway. So I didn't necessarily believe that that was Aaron's tomb. But the point is, is the Aaron, Eleazar, and Moses went on this hill, went up to this hill, and that was, that was the hill that's talked about here. And um, the, the, the phrase the Bible uses is, Aaron was gathered to his people. Yep, three went up and two came down. So Aaron went up in his priestly, high priestly robes, and Eleazar came down in them. Interesting. Yeah, he went up there and died. Matter of fact, I heard one person. This, uh, I don't remember where I heard this, but it's always stuck out at me as kind of a, a real misinterpretation of things. Uh, you know, what kind of God would take somebody up a hill and make him stay up there and die without any clothes on? I thought, well, that's kind of a, you know, what a negative thing to say. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, I don't know. I shouldn't have brought that up. That's better left to the... Well, the, the thing is, is God doesn't do that. God's, yeah, he's... Even, even as we read about these, uh, you know, I want you to kill every man, woman, and child stuff. He's, uh, I'm sure this is not something God enjoys, and I'm sure the Israelites didn't enjoy it either. Yeah. Anyway, moving along. Uh, verse 12. Somebody want to read from verse 12 to the end of chapter 10? Okay, I will. Oh, we got to take her over there. Let's get your microphone. Now, Israel, what does Yehoah your God require of you but to fear Yehoah your God, to walk in all his ways, to love him, and to serve Yehoah your God with all your heart and with all your soul, to keep Yehoah's commandments? and statutes which I command you today for your good. Behold, Jehovah brings your, Jehovah your God brings, Jehovah your God belongs heaven, the heavens of heavens and the earth with all that is therein. Only Jehovah had a delight in your fathers to love them and he chose their offspring after them even you above all peoples, as it is today. Circumcise, therefore, the foreskin of your heart 
and be no more stiff-necked. For Jehovah your God, he is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great God, the mighty, the awesome, who doesn't respect persons or take bribes. He executes justice for the fatherless and widow and loves the foreigner in giving him food and clothing. Therefore, love the foreigner, for you were foreigners in the land of Egypt. You shall fear Jehovah your God, you shall serve him. You shall cling to him, and you shall swear by his name. He is your praise, he is your God, who has done for you these great and awesome things which your eyes have seen. Your fathers went down into Egypt with 70 persons. And now, Jehovah your God, has made you as the stars of the sky for multitude. That's, that's a beautiful passage. I mean, it's, it says so much about God. I, I always like stuff like that. I know you like that kind of stuff. I do. I do, too. I like that, too. Yeah. Um, there's several things to talk about here, I think. Um, first of all, it starts off, it says, Now hear, O Israel, Shema, O Israel, what does Yahweh... Your God ask of you, but to fear Yahweh your God, to walk in all his ways, to love him, and to serve him with all your heart and soul, to observe the Lord's commands and decrees that I'm giving you today for your own good. So there are several things. First of all, that little statement, I wanted to, last week, I think, maybe I didn't, did we talk about Micah 6.8? Yes. Uh, and Micah 6.8 says, what is it, O oh man, that God asks of you? He asks that you act justly, which is simply pretty much observing the laws. Um, love mercy. Love mercy is, uh, well, it's to act like him because he loves mercy. I mean, it's to be thoughtful of other people, not to be judgmental of other people. And then the third one that Micah says is to walk humbly before your God. I don't know. I think that was in there. What do you think about this idea? We've talked. I bet you've talked about this a bunch. Fear the Lord your God. Fear Yahweh. Is everybody comfortable with this concept of fear? That's mentioned. It's used often in Old Testament. Yeah. I always think of motivation. What are you motivated to do? If you don't fear God, you're not motivated to do His commandments and His statutes. Okay. Okay. Well, it's an interesting thing about the word fear, because it's yireh, and yireh also means to see. So, so the interesting thing is, if you really sort of see God, you know, as He is, then you sort of get fear in a in a good way, you know, mm -hmm. and you you feel awestruck. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, I think that those words are sort of very closely related, especially if you read the Akeda. You, they, you know, they're very closely related. Yeah, I think fear is kind of an unfortunate translation. The word I always tend to put in there is revere. Right. Revere, you know, because fear kind of makes you think of cowering and trembling. And while he may present that to us just by his very nature, it's not his, uh, it's not his desire. Yeah. Uh, doesn't it say somewhere, uh, fear of the Lord is the beginning of understanding? I'm not sure it's that is. the beginning of wisdom. Wisdom, yeah, okay, which is yeah. Simply, pretty much what you just said. Uh, I kind of think of fear as more awe, yeah. like we're in awe of God yeah. yep. because he is so much higher than us. Yep. I mean, 
You'd have, I to, guess, you'd have to be a fool not to fear God. Well, that's right. <laughs> another, another way I often think about it is um, I think it's unhealthy to have too much of a buddy-buddy kind of a idea of God. Now, granted, you know, he, he loves us intently, more than we know, but you don't, it, there's a certain familiarity, a certain arrogance to acting, or to thinking on your, in your own mind that, well, yeah, you know, we're good, God and I have this understanding or whatever, you know? Uh, you got to be careful about that because the way I always phrase that, God's God and you're not. Yeah, um, same thing. Um, my understanding is the reference or mm -hmm. the awe-inspire. I mean, mm -hmm. when we think about water, mm -hmm. you know, water, we don't fear water. Mm -hmm. But yet, when you look at the ocean and how powerful it is, there is an awe-inspiring magnificence that comes with it. And that's just part of creation. Or a mountain or a storm or a heavy rain. You know, it's beautiful. You look at it, but you think, wow, okay, this is this can be dangerous. That's, let's, a, that's, that's not a not, bad thought. Let's yeah. not act inappropriately yep. with these things any more than we would act inappropriately with fire. Yep. Fire that's, that's warns good. us, but yet we would not act foolishly with yeah. it. Mm -hmm. And that's just an element. So I agree in, with that. in that sense, there is a respectful and understanding the appropriate relationship that it doesn't, like you say, you know, I wouldn't say, oh, like some people have the T-shirts that says, God is my homeboy. You know, it's kind of yeah. like, yeah. Yeah. yeah, that's a little bit, little bit too familiar. Yep, that's not quite, I don't quite buy that one either. Um, there's another thing that, that it mentions in here, and I'd like to come back to this more as we move along, but I want to just point it out now. It says, to love him, to serve Yahweh your God with all your heart and all your soul. Now, one of the things I'd like to point out there is... Every time the Bible tells us to love God, it's not saying uh, go off and generate this warm, fuzzy feeling. You know, love is an act of your will. You're supposed to do it. You're supposed to determine in your mind, I'm going to do this. Now, he's given you lots of reasons why you should, but you have to decide. Your decision is to decide to do that. And then as everything, one of the one of the most fundamental things I've learned from the Torah is that in Hebrew thinking, it's all about action. You know, it's okay to have mental pictures and to have, you know, models that work and to think about the way things work, but it's got to be, if it's not associated with you doing something, then it's pretty hard to convince anybody, especially God, that there's anything to it, you know. So love needs to be active. And then he tells you right how to do there. He says, uh, serve God with all your heart and with all your soul and observe the commands and decrees that I'm giving you today. Then he goes on to say that last little kicker, for your own good, right? Don't do this because it's hard and difficult, although sometimes it might be, just because I told you to. Do it because if you do it, you're going you're gonna to win. It's the right thing. You know, you're going to get, you'll be better off. So it isn't just to do it to have a projection of religiosity that people can see you and say, wow, that guy's very religious. Yeah. Yeah. It's to, I'm in it for the blessings, just like he just said. Yeah. 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 So I think those are important things to, those are really important concepts to kind of uh, latch on to. <clears throat> so, Moving along, then he talks Another about. Question? Go ahead. Sorry, Margaret. Um, 
Somebody said that the Bible defines the words in the Bible. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and in, in John, 1 John uh, 5, 2 and 3, by this we know that we love the children of Yahweh when we love Yahweh and keep his commandments. For this is love. For this is the love of Yahweh, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not grievous. Yep. So, Boy, you know, definition. <laughs> after, after having gone through the Torah two or three yeah. times, I, I go back to the, those yeah. epistles of John like that, and it's like, how can you miss that? How can you miss that? How could we have sat around in these Christian churches all those years where it says, this is how you show you love God, by keeping his commandments? I mean, it's pretty, you can't get much Blunt, blunter, more blunt than that. You have to go to religious school to figure that out. You have to go out. to religious school to get, get that all straightened out in your head. Okay. So, um, it, he goes on in verse 14. He's, this is where it really gets good. He starts, basically, Moses is saying, now, you know, just consider God here for a minute. He owns, they belong, to him belong the heavens, even the highest heavens, the earth and everything in it, yet... He set his affection on your forefathers and loved them. And he chose you, their descendants, above all nations as it is today. You know, you didn't do anything. If, if anybody has anything to take some credit for, it's Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But it sure isn't you, right? He chose to love their descendants. Then he goes on, he says, Circumcise your hearts, therefore, and do not be stiff-necked any longer. Those are 14, 15, and 16. So, <laughs> again, Comment. Uh, first of all, circumcising <clears throat> of the heart, I thought was New Testament. John, what were we going to say? I think there's a standalone law of top there, by the way. It's one in, in verse 4. Verse 16, circumcise your heart. Yeah. There's one in verse 4, too, but that was my comment. My okay. comment was, he's making a distinction between... Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Mm-hmm. In my view, they were all sovereign, if you will. They were, they had, they had, they were not, they were not slaves like their descendants were in Israel, and that's to me the difference. That's a good point. And so, I don't, I don't know. He probably never said you need. Hey, Abraham, you need to circumcise your heart, or maybe they did. I don't know. I don't. For these guys, they definitely do because they need to remember when they treat other people, when they come across other people, how they got there. They got there because they lost their sovereignty. They gave, they gave up their, their, their authority to do what they wanted to do by being in, in Egypt all that time. Yeah. To me, that's the distinction. I think he's always also calling them to to be in awe, to be grateful, mm-hmm. you know, because because he didn't do it with any other nation. Mm-hmm. That's right. You know, he didn't just you know tell anybody just come and you know, and and he said, "I'll have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I'll have you know I'll not well, have mercy well, yeah. on who I don't want to have mercy." And so, you know, the thing is, is that, um, you know, I think that that he wants them to be in awe of the of 
the fact that we're a nation, that we could be a nation. As the, and, and we could that's, be that's essentially out. what those first two sentences were saying. You know, and to me, if I paraphrase, it would be, you know, stop and think about this for a minute, right? That, think about where you came from, like you were saying. Think about what had to happen for you to be here. Um, and then if you can't give him credit, if you will, you know, uh, honor, praise, whatever, for having pulled that off, <laughs> then that feeds right into this thing about stiff neck. What's a stiff-necked person? Stubborn. Yep. You have going down the wrong path and keep going. You yep. refuse to look. Mm -hmm. Ah. Yeah, you, you can't turn. You, yeah. Yeah. Circumcision of your heart. Yep. The circum therefore, circumcise the foreskin of your heart kind of reminds me because it's a cutting away of the flesh mm -hmm. and that part of the flesh that might be offensive or hardened so that you can have a softer heart reminds me of what Yeshua said when he said, if your right eye offends thee, cut it off and yeah. so on. It kind of goes back to this cutting something off so that you can be sensitive, tender, sensitive, sensitive to God's yes. leading. Yeah, that's a good point. That goes on. Oh, I'm sorry, Margaret. Yeah. Uh, um, I guess I have a question, or maybe open open to other comments on this. Uh, Fourteen. Behold, the heaven and the heaven of heavens. It seems that a lot of times when heaven is mentioned, it's it's translated as heavens, mm -hmm. and here I it's like okay, we got heaven, and then we got the heaven of heavens, and looking back to the to the Hebrew roots, it's the eighty sixty four. Um, Lisa, do you have any comments on that? Yeah, it's. I'm sure it's. What is it? Uh, Shamaim. 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 Shamaim is a plural word. Well. Okay. The I I think he. Yeah, I, I, that's true, but I don't know that I would read that much into it. I think it's basically everything is this point. You know, the, the stars and everything above you, it's all his. Can I read it? Yeah. <clears throat> so, Hashemaim Ushemei. Ushemei. So, Shem, Shin, Mem, Ayan, I'm assuming, is the root. It says, it says, Hashemaim Ushme Hashemaim. So it means, it means the heavens, the, the heavens, the heavens, the heavens. It's, it's like saying it three well, times. Hebrew doesn't have this concept of big, bigger, biggest. Right. It so just whenever means they want to say something, right. is, is they give it, they repeat it. So twice means it's bigger, and three times means it's biggest. It's, it's, so that's really kind of what they're doing there. Well, and here, it, here it, it's translated, Behold, um, Elohecha are the, are the heaven and the highest heaven. Mine says, 
heavens, even the highest heaven. Yeah. So it's just a yeah. Uh, poetic. That's what I'm gonna. You might so be able to find some more to it. It repeats it three times. It repeats it three times, just with the different tense in the middle. So out of all of that, you look around all the stars, everything you can see. He picked you, is what he's basically saying. Imagine that. <laughs> well. But he kind of had to if he was going to honor his yeah. agreement with Abraham. Yeah, but you know the thing that's interesting to me is it still applies, right? It's, he's, it's still working. All of this is still in force. As long as we keep as long our as end of the bargain. And that's part of the reason I enjoy being up here doing this is because we're doing that. Well, and I think, you know, I think of my ancestors, and I think that it is amazing I mean, because I think of even on my mom's side, which she wasn't Jewish, but um, but you know the people that prayed down through the ages, and the and and my dad's side, the the faithfulness, the faithfulness he has to the covenant, mm -hmm. is amazing to yeah. me. Well, you know, it's I give God the credit really, because somehow or another He knows how each of us is constructed, and how. Whether and how we'll respond to his call. Um, let's see, I wanted to do a couple other ones before we end. Verse 18. Well, okay, let's go verse 17 first. Yahweh your God is the God of God, the Lord of Lords, the great God, mighty and awesome. In other words, stick together a bunch of big, you know, grandiose adjectives, and that describes him. He shows no partiality and accepts no bribes. So, in other words, he's not biased in any way. Um, then he defends the cause of the fatherless and the widow, and he loves the alien, giving him food and clothing. Um, I thought that was really, that one lines up with James. Pure religion. Yeah, James chapter 1. I'll, I'll read Verse that. Verse 17. Yep, boy, you're right on, John. Or 19. 27. 27, is that it? Yeah. Sorry. That's okay. You're so close that it's, we won't count. Close enough for hand grenades. Yeah, that's right. Just just, just a second. Um, James chapter 1, verse 27 says, Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. So why do we delegate that to the state? Here, here. Why do we delegate that to the state? I don't have a good answer for that one. Because we don't fear God. We revere God. It could be. Although I object to being picked on. Good. Um, people before, they believe in too many gods. Um, and I uh, found some uh, in, a, um, in a YouTube, in a Grand Canyon here in Arizona, they found a temple, a Hindu god, and the people hiding them, the, they call them, um, some people of the government covered them, and they find the same temple in Peru, and you know, and they find another one in the, in a, in the high and the high mountains in Bolivia, South America, because this gas 
I don't know, they flying with the teens, ear gods, or maybe the, the fall angels? Uh, I don't know what is that, but I, I want to understand because they say, for the Lord your God is God, and God's and Lord all lords. Is many lords, many gods? Well, obviously, um, at, when this was written, people thought that. Some people still do. Doesn't Yeshua say that? Yeah. King of kings? Lord well, of lords? Yeah, it's just it's like uh, I'm a man among men or whatever. You know, it's, it's part of its figure of speech. Well, king of kings, to me, that's like king of sovereigns. If I'm okay. a sovereign, I'm doing the functions of a king, and I'm, I'm doing that because Yeshua is my king in the heavenly realm. So I'm, okay. it's king, it's sovereign of, it's Yeshua the king of sovereigns is how I look at that. Does that make sense? Yeah. Marvin? I think there's so much about this that we won't know until he, we meet him. Yeah. But... I think there, God is the beginning, and He is the He is the deity. Yeah. But that doesn't mean He created. He didn't create other entities that we may be calling gods here. Yeah. 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 But, but it's, uh, you can almost look at like uh, um, one view would be well, there are many gods. And the greatest or the chief among gods is our God. But another way to look at it is, uh, uh, you know, he is so far above anything else that we could ever call another God that they're, not, they're nothing even close. You shouldn't even use that word because he's, he's the creator of all. So he's created them as well. So, yeah, I understand. That. That's a very good point. You know, my favorite verse... <laughs> In the Bible, well, I have several, but but one of them is, you know, when we see him, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, the thing that he did for us was to create us in his image. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, think of how much we'll show forth his image when we see him. Mm -hmm. It's just amazing to me. Yeah, a little scary. Yeah, it is yeah. a little. Certainly didn't. Makes me humble. So it's it's interesting to me that's in the context of you, you need to be respecters of people, or you don't need to be. What does it say? Be no respecters of people. Right. Yeah. You know, you're but all. That's what it says. He is shows no partiality and accepts no bribe. Well, but then it says. What does it say at the end of that? Well, it says, he defends the cause of the fatherless and the widow and loves the aliens, giving him food and clothing. Yeah. A mighty and terrible, which regardeth not persons, nor taketh reward. Right. You said that. Anyway, that's the, that passage is just fascinating, or it's, it's uh, very grandiose. I think. Yeah. So that's, to me, that's talking about a judgment of some sort. You you know you give you give a you know who do you give a bribe to, to someone to to avoid the law or to bypass the yeah. not apply the law, to me because I'm special because I gave yeah. you a, a yeah. 
it, but it's a judicial thing. Yes. It's, a, it's a legal thing. Well, yeah. So you're you're trying to circumvent the right. law. Yeah. So and basically, he's saying you can't do that because you're special. Yeah. But no, you're not special. Yeah. Right in there. That's that's that right there covers my feeling about the uh, rapture. <laughs> I'm not that special, you know. Do we want to move on to chapter 11, or does anybody else have anything to say about that? Yeah. Oh, I was uh, thinking that uh, in regards to this scripture here, Lord of Lords, what is it, uh, God is God of gods, Lord of Lords, that the only way to truly know God is if he reveals himself to you, yep. and he revealed himself to Abraham at first, and he and through the scriptures, mm -hmm. he reveals himself to us. But yep. I was thinking of one scripture when Paul went, I think it was Athens, where he said, you have a God, I noticed, the unknown God. Yeah, they, they had an altar or a, uh, yeah, I guess it's an altar to the unknown God. Because yeah. they had but, all these others, right? You know, they could name them all and they had temples to them all. But I, I think uh, uh, people, just all of us just have this, in the pit of our gut, we know there's something, somebody that's greater than all these gods we have. Yeah. There's somebody, you know, who, who's who's the great God, yep. as it says here. We just don't know who he is. <laughs> that's right. That's right. And and I go back to that thing in, in Hebrews, which talks about, you know, he rewards those who diligently seek him. So if you really put the effort in, he'll be found. He'll let you find him. But if you're making a half-hearted effort or if you're trying to play him off against a bunch of other things or something like that, he's not under any obligation. Not he's under any obligation, period. But, you know, he, he um, you're not fooling anybody. <laughs> Let's move on. Chapter 11. Um, chapter 11 is a big old long thing, and I don't want to read the whole thing. Uh, but I think it would be good to read the first 12 verses and talk about those. You want to? Okay. There. <clears throat> Therefore, you are to love Adonai, your God, and keep his charge, <clears throat> his statutes, his ordinances, and his mitzvot at all times. And you should know this day that it was not your children who knew or saw the discipline of Adonai, your God. His greatness is mighty hand and his outstretched arm, his signs and the deeds he did in the midst of Egypt to Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and to all his land. 
and what he did to the army of Egypt, to, the, to its horses and chariots, when he made made the waters of the sea a breeze blow over them as they caused as they chased after you and how Adonai has destroyed them to this day what he did for you in the wilderness until you came to this place and what he did to Dathan and Abiram sons of Eliab son of Reuben, how the earth opened its mouth and swallowed them up along with their households and tents and every living thing that followed them. In the midst of all Israel, brother, it is your own eyes that have seen every mighty deed that Adonai has done. Therefore, you are to keep the whole mitzvah that I am commanding you today so that you may be strong and go in and possess the land that you are crossing over to possess and so that you may prolong your days on the land that Adonai swore to give to your fathers and to their descendants a land flowing with milk and honey. For the land you are going to possess <clears throat> is not like the land of Egypt from which you came. There you planted your seed and watered it by foot like a vegetable garden. But the land you are crossing over to possess is a land of hills and valleys, drinking from the rain of the heavens it drinks in water. It is a land that Adonai your God cares for. The eyes of Adonai your God are always on it from the beginning of the year up to the end of the year. Okay, thank you. Because when she read um, his decrees and ordinance, know today that is, it, this I had that it is not your children who did not know, who did not see the chastisement of Yahweh Elohecha. That's what mine says. Mine says, remember today that your children were not the ones who saw and experienced. Yeah, so the did you say? Of oh, I thought you said they they were they. So, what's what are some of the what's he what's he trying to get at here? First of all, he's making a big point about you know what's happened in their in their recent past, right? He says, "You remember, not that long ago, um, what happened down at the Red Sea? You know, in Egypt, chasing you guys, all the Egyptian, all the pharaohs, chariots, and everything, and." You, you remember that, you know, and uh, what God did to them? Um, 
He's basically recalling that. And then he's basically saying, remember what, <laughs> what, uh, what he did when Dathan and Abiram uh, decided to try to have a rebellion and take over Moses' job, throw him out? I think that's one of the most dramatic things in the whole Torah, where the ground opened up and swallowed them. Um, so you remember all this stuff, and then what's he tie that to? Isn't it take the land? Well, yes, he ties it to the land, but he ties it to their obedience to the to the command. Right? He's saying. Observe, therefore, all the commands I'm giving you so that you may have the strength to go in and take over the land. So he basically is saying, you know, God's done this for you. He's led you this far. If you want to continue, then be obedient. That's what he keeps coming back to. That's probably the thing he's going to harp on the most for the rest of Deuteronomy, how everything depends on the obedience. Beg your pardon? Yeah, yeah, he does. So the disobedience to the to the two that got or the ones that got swallowed up mm-hmm. was about questioning the authority of those who were given who God gave the yeah right yes. the Levites the, the high priest rebellion basically right but to rebel you have to you have to recognize there's a there's a an authority group a group. Yeah. That has authority. Psalm 78, uh, verse 12 and 13, they say, um, Marvelous thing he did in the sign of their father, in the land of Egypt, in the field of Soat. He divided the sea, the sea and caused them to pass through. And he made the water stand up like a, a heap. And the other verse is in the 43, say, when he worked his signs in the Egypt and his wonder in the fields or so on. And the 51 say, And destroyed all the firstborn in Egypt, the first of their strength and the tens of hand. And is sent to Exodus 12, 29, and 30. You know, he, he want to remind them what I'll do for them. Mm-hmm. Yep. Just reminding them what, they, what he did for them. I thought of John when I read these... Uh, this description of how their agricultural practices are going to be different. Uh, starting in verse 10, it says, The land you are entering to take over is not like the land of Egypt from which you have come, where you planted your seed and irrigated by foot as a vegetable garden. But the land you are crossing the Jordan to take possession of is a land of mountains and valleys that drinks rain from heaven. It's a land that Yahweh your God cares for. The eyes of Yahweh your God are continually on it from the beginning of the year to its end. So that's, that's permaculture, right? Yeah. Rather than digging canals and making the water go this way and that way and going out there and opening sluices and all of that, you, you just, you know, plant it where You have to rely on Yahweh to bring the rain, yeah. which is connected to Torah. Very good point. Yep. But actually the meaning of 
the root of Torah is like the rains coming from heaven. Mm-hmm. Okay, something. That I I don't understand in a Hebraic sense. I mean, I, I you know I uh, fl- a land flowing with milk and honey. Yeah. And everything, it can range anywhere from gushing with milk and honey or gushing or fertility or fertile or yep. a lot of different metaphors and meanings to it. Some say it's not literal because, you know, a bee is not really a clean, <laughs> so what comes from it? But then it's kind of like, well, it doesn't, the bee doesn't make this. It only carries it, but it does make it and blah, blah, blah. So it goes into this whole thing about what does that metaphor, that phrase actually mean in a Hebraic sense? Okay. John's got something. Now, that's a permaculture thing, but I'll let Margaret go first. The way I see it is ice cream. Ice Dessert. Cream. Yep. Are you going to have enough? You're going to have enough food, abundance of food that just, just you know, abundant, and, and then dessert, milk yep. and honey, ice cream. Yep. That's, that's a good one. I like that. So milk comes from cows, mm-hmm. and Joel Solitan talks about how he's, you know, his approach to pasturing the cows and emulating the, the, the savannah. And he also, he also mentioned in one of his videos, they did a, they did a test, and he's got, he had like all eight possible bumblebees that exist in all of Virginia are on his property, which is like really rare. So the, the bees... Of course, I mean they have honey, but the bees are important because they pollinate. Yeah, they 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 allow the cows to have a good uh, source of uh, water. Yeah. Well, it just occurs to me, just in discussing it, just as far uh, milk and honey would imply an abundance of fertile cows and crops, right? Because that's where both of those things come from. But, but honey comes from bees, period. You know, that's what honey is, right? So, but the bees would imply, the honey flowing with milk and honey would imply that the bees are so busy doing what they do that the honey's just almost free, which means that the whole land is extremely productive. And the same with the milk. If you've got lots and lots of milk, then your herds of cows are obviously doing, or goats for that matter, right? They're obviously doing really well too. One thing that I find interesting on 12, it says, the land which the Lord thy God careth for. Mm-hmm. I mean, he really cares for it. Yeah. And then it said, the eyes of, of God are always upon it from the beginning of the year to the end of the year. That's fascinating. I mean, he made the whole earth, and this must be his crown jewel of the planet. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, I tell you, when I've been over there to look at it, it hadn't. It's not all that, I mean, I would have picked some place like Banff or, or some, some really, really pretty place. Because, you know, you have to kind of, it's, it's an acquired taste. Yeah, you, you have to kind of really like it. But it's, uh, it says a lot about God that that's, that's the way he feels about that place. Yeah, and I'm also uh, thinking of, I think it's somewhere in Zechariah, and this is the end time uh, context of mm-hmm. which, in order for the people to receive rain in the end times contacts, they must obey the commandments in order to receive the rain. Well, they have to go to go to Sukkot. They have to go. They have to go celebrate the feasts. 
And if they don't celebrate the feast, they won't get right. rain. <laughs> that's what he says, right? That's what that, I'm pretty sure that's what that verse says. So, it's a quote, you do a rain dance? Is that, is that what you're saying? Yeah, something like that. <laughs> I had a comment on what something somebody said, but now I forgot what it was. But, um, I, maybe it was ice cream. But, um, <laughs> well, oh, I think, oh, I know what I was going to say. Well, the thing is, he called Avraham out to make the land an altar. And that's why, because if you take it take it, because I've read the Akeda a billion times, you know, I studied it a lot. And so I think, in a way, he called Av Avram out, and then he made an altar, and it says it's the place where he chose to place his name. Well, by the way, we're getting to that in just the next chapter. But I don't know that I agree with this idea about he made the land an altar thing. Well, he made, he did it. He made Jerusalem his altar. He said it's his altar. He said that. No, he said it's this place he's going to put his name. Well... I, but why did Avraham have to have to go to Maria, Maria, and 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 um? Well, I, I, it's okay. It's a, it's a and small why did point. Yeshua have to have to die there? Because it's his altar. Well, okay, that's that's fine. That that's okay. That's your opinion. That's okay. Well, you know, and that's where Yeshua has to come back. Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm just saying. Oh, I know, I know, yeah. He, def he definitely says he's going to pick it. And like, like we said, he definitely says right here that he's, that's the land that's, uh, that he cares for. That he cares for. Wait just a second. We can't hear you. Okay. He said uh, he cared the land uh, when the year started and the very end of the year. And now we know Israel have a, a lot of people living there, a lot of Muslims, a lot of another countries coming there living. But if you will see uh, and Google and find where is Israel now, they have a, a lot of scientists, they have a good agronomy, they develop a, a lot, a lot of good things. And and I and I saw video somebody go take it before Shabbat. Uh, a lot of people grow uh, is um, shopping, you know, the food they prepare, and I can't believe it. The fruits are so big, the vegetables, and everything. The country still blessing after oh, today yeah. without yeah. a lot of uh, evil thing happening inside. He's still blessing his people That's over right. in Kin. Yeah, and true. you know, the 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 they be the some river be the, uh, dry. But a people develop how to take water for the sea and purify, and they running good water they got for the faucet. Yeah. It's, it's amazing what yep. God is still care his people. Yep, yep, he does. Well, let's, let's move on. We can finish the portion tonight, I bet. Um, unless somebody else has something, I don't want to stifle things. Verse 13, I think I'll read. I haven't had a chance to read yet. 
So I'm going to start reading in verse 13 and go to the end of the portion, which is not quite the end of the chapter. So we may finish the chapter because I kind of like that last part. But anyway, 13. So if you faithfully obey the commands I'm giving you today, to love Yahweh your God and to serve him with all your heart and with all your soul, then I will send rain on your land in its season, both autumn and spring rains, so that you may gather your grain, new wine and oil. I will provide grass in the fields for your cattle, and you will eat and be satisfied. Be careful, or you will be enticed to turn away from and worship other gods and bow down to them. Then Yahweh's anger will burn against you, and he will shut the heavens so that it will not rain, and the ground will, not ye will yield no produce, and you will soon perish from the good land that Yahweh is giving you. Fix these words of mine in your hearts and minds, and tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Teach them to your children. Whose is that? Talking about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Write them on the door frames of your houses and your gates so that your days and the days of your children may be many in the land that is the Yahweh your God swore to your forefathers, as many as the days the heavens are above the earth. If you carefully obey all these commands I'm giving you, to love the Lord your God with, and walk in all his ways and hold fast to him, then Yahweh will drive out these nations before you, and you will dispossess nations larger and stronger than you. Every place where you set your foot will be yours. Your territory will extend from the desert to Lebanon, and from the Euphrates River to the Western Sea. No man, no man will be able to stand against you. Yahweh your God, as he promised you, will put the terror and fear of you on the whole land, wherever you go. So again, he ties it back to the same thing, being obedient to the commands, right? Starts off verse 13, if you faithfully obey the commands. What does he say the big fear is? What's the, big, what's the big thing they should be watching out for? Well, yeah, but that's what, what it really says is, um, yeah, enticed. Then do not, where does it say it? Verse 16, be careful or you will be enticed, turn away and worship other gods and bow down to them. The only reason I point that out is because that's exactly what happened. They, and it's not like they fell into this once. They fell into it over and over and over again. And God would fix them, you know, he'd correct them, and they'd do it again. Part of that, and you guys excuse me while I wander off here for just a second, but part of that is because God's time scale is so much bigger than ours. So he can teach one generation not to do that. But if that generation doesn't teach their kids not to do that, and then though they don't teach their kids not to do that, by the time you get just a couple of generations down the road, it's not important to them anymore. And man, I think that's where we are. That's exactly what's happened. That is right. That's exactly where we are. And do you know, the word is devok. Devok? Dalit, Dalit um, Beit um, Kof. And the thing is... What is that word? It, devok means to cleave. And and not just to cleave, but to be glued to. 
It's the same thing as when you when it says a husband will leave his wife and they'll cleave to each other. Yep. So you know. So then you're glued to that person. Mm -hmm. The thing is, is that you can't take it apart. And so I think that it's an important aspect that you know because we call God, we say that His covenant is you know we're the bride and He's the husband. You know. Mm -hmm. And I think that's an important. Thing to remember. Yep, I agree. We can't just disannul that. Yeah. Barbara's got something too, but you go ahead, John. So it talks about put it, put the word of your commandments in the mezuzah on the doorpost. Yep. And that's tied to being longevity into the land. Yes. So yes. that's why, and if they don't do that, they're not teaching the next generation, and eventually they're they'll be wandering out in the middle of nowhere. That's exactly right, and that's what it says. Go ahead. It, it's interesting from a geography standpoint that that's not Israel. I mean, it's that's Israel's not, included in it, but that's a much bigger big. area. Yeah, that's, that's than, a good point. What's it, it talks about uh, from the Lebanon, from the desert to the Lebanon. Now, we know what Lebanon is, although you could argue about exactly the limits, but it's clearly the, the country that is now north of Israel, and the desert is certainly down there through the Sinai. And it talks to the Euphrates, which is way over in the middle of, yeah, Iraq, and then to the Western Sea, which is the Mediterranean. So, yeah, it's, it's more land than is currently there today, or that probably has ever been historically Israel. Because Israel's never controlled Damascus, for example, or Lebanon. You know something in the verse uh, 16 is they give it back to the 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 chapter A, uh, verse 19, they say, Then it shall be, if you by any means forget the Lord your God, and follow other gods, and service them, and worship them. I testify against you this day that you shall surely perish. Yep. And, and that's exactly what happened. And you know, he says that same thing at least three more times in Deuteronomy. Matter of fact, there's one section here that we're going to get to toward the end of the book where he goes on for like three pages about all the horrible stuff that's going to happen if they, you know, forsake God, if they don't. Yeah, it. and in the verse 17, they, they give you back in the chapter 6, and the verse 15, and the 20, 20 and the chapter uh, 28, the same book, and the verse 24. 24 is almost the same. Yeah, there's there's a lot of stuff. Well, this uh, the idea about uh, uh, fix these words of mine on your hearts and make them symbols on your heads. Uh, we know that, right? The Vahata. And then we just read that in chapter 6. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's, see, that's, that's one, of my, one of my rules I've learned after doing this is that anything that's important, he always says more than once. So if you ever find yourself going off in some path based on just one one citation, one verse, you're probably wrong. You know, they repeat it and repeat it and repeat it. It's when we go to school, we start in elementary school, and they, sure. now they start in preschool, later go to kindergarten, and the first grade, the first grade and the, the three levels, they repeat everything after the child learn mm -hmm. how to read, how to write, because... By repeat, that's right. That's right. Repeating all the time. 
Sorry. <laughs> I should, I should, you know, we, we have an expression, uh, at least I grew up hearing an expression, oh, he knows math by heart. He knows his yeah. ABCs by heart. Yeah. He knows music by heart or this song by heart. So when something's written upon your heart, then you could recite it by heart, you know it by heart, mm -hmm. and it's not a heartless recital, just count it to memory, yeah. it's implanted on your heart. Yeah, yeah, that's a good so point. So the same thing, and when it talks about in the last days, the law would be written on their hearts, is also from the beginning, what it was supposed to be on your heart. By repetition, it gets on your heart, when you lie down, when you wake up, when you're on the road, you speak it to your children, yep. and so on. Yep, that's good. We're all right, we've got time. Uh, let's see, there's something else I was going to point out there. He says that they're going to be able to, uh, if they'll be obedient, if you carefully, I'm in verse 22, if you carefully observe all these commands I'm giving you to follow, to love Yahweh your God and walk in all his ways and to hold fast to him, to cleave to him, as you said, then Yahweh will drive out all these nations before you, and you will dispossess nations larger and stronger than you. Every place where you set your foot will be yours. No man will be able to stand against you. Yahweh your God, as he has promised, will put the terror and fear of you on the whole land, wherever you go. He was already doing that. We Some of the stuff we read in the books of Numbers, the book of Numbers, and uh, the, 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 the way, the whole episode with Balaam and Balak was the fact that uh, this horde of people was moving through the desert and every time they'd come up to some uh, you know, population, they'd all go, oh man, these are the ones we've heard about. These guys are, they're, they're mean and scary. You know, we ought to be careful with them. They're, their God is a big and fierce God, you know, and so he's already done a lot of this. And of course, when you read the book of Joshua, you find out that he did exactly what he said here. You know, he, he went ahead of them, and he made most of the, most of the people that they fought uh, afraid. We got enough time. I just want to read this last little part of verse 11, or chapter 11, because to me it's really, really, I think it's an important thing, and I think it'd be fun to go home and think about this for the week. And we can read it next time, too. It's uh, starting in verse 26 of chapter 11. This is Moses, and he says, See, I am setting before you today a blessing and a curse. A blessing if you obey the commands of Yahweh your God that I'm giving you today, and the curse if you disobey the commands of Yahweh your God and turn from the way that I command you today by following other gods which you have not known. When Yahweh your God has brought you into the land that you are entering to possess, and you proclaim on you are to proclaim on Mount Gerizim the blessings, and on Mount Ebal the curses. As you know, these mountains are across the Jordan, west of the road, toward the setting sun, near the great trees of Moray, in the territory of those Canaanite kings living in the Arabah in the vicinity of Gilgal. You are about to cross the Jordan to enter and take possession of the land that Yahweh your God is giving you. And when you have taken it over and are living there, be sure that you obey all the decrees and laws that I am setting before you today. The part that I really liked was, I'm setting before you today a blessing and a curse. A 
blessing if you obey and a curse if you disobey. It's a, bina it's a binary choice. It's a binary choice, and that's what the Torah is all about. You'll notice it doesn't say anything about salvation or eternal destiny or any of that. It just says, and that's what I keep telling people. You know, the, the Torah is nothing but a blessing and a curse. I mean, it's a, I say nothing but, but that's the key. If you, if you study it, to obey it, to do it, you're going to be blessed. If you don't, you won't. It's that, pretty much that simple. Yeah. So if you're a group of people that were taken away from this and not given this opportunity, and then they were saved to come back and have this opportunity, that would be a salvation then, right? It's a salvation to do yeah. the Torah, to have the option of doing the right thing. Yep, yep. How many chances do you want God to give you? <laughs> right? He's been doing it for, what, 3,500 years. The other thing, this Mount Ebal and Mount Gerizim thing, those are places that are pretty certainly known. Um, you can find them over there. They're in the, uh, what's called the Occupied West Bank. Um, they're in Samaria, what used to be called Samaria. The town of Nablus is over there, Nablus, Nablus. It's a uh, Palestinian town that exists uh, west of the Jordan River, and it sits in the valley, and there's two hills on either side of the valley. One of them is Mount Gerizim, and the other is Mount Ebal, and Nablus used to be named Shechem, and Shechem is in the Bible a lot, right? We know about uh, when uh, Jacob left um, Laban, and they brought all his wives and all his kids down. They, they stayed there at Shechem, and that's where they got in trouble for talking all the guys into getting circumcised and then killing them. Um, that's, uh, so Shechem's, and, and Joseph, the bone, bones of Joseph were entombed in Shechem. Shechem still exists, and Mount Gerizim and Mount Ebal still exists. And in the occupied West Bank in Israel, the Palestinians... They, they have authority over it, but it's not, you know, it's, the land is still available to be uh, settled by both Palestinians and Israelis. So there are some Israelis, and they're called, literally, settlers. And they're usually kind of out there, um, let's see, I kind of put it. Prejudice exists well in that land, and so since it's Palestinian-controlled, they make the uh, the... Israelis feel rather unwelcome and uncomfortable. And most of the Israelis that are out there are out there because they think the land belongs to them by God. And so there's on the top of Mount Gerizim is a, a winery. And it's, it's a cool winery. I've, you know, it's been there for 15 years. And every now and then the Israeli government kind of quits, you know, says, we don't know you guys. <laughs> And it's, it's kind of a you know, wild and woolly place, but I think it's really interesting that we read about it here, and it still exists. And this was clearly written, like I say, 3,500 years ago. Yeah. My, my understanding for the definition of the word for Shechem is shoulders. Yes. So it's like you have the, the one shoulder is telling you and speaking into your ear the curses, and the other one's in the other, on your other end speaking into your ear the, the blessings. I hadn't heard that, but that makes perfect sense. Okay, let's see. Go ahead. I just had a 
question about sure. the, the book in general. Is is this like a when they just got together one time and Moses just had this big long talk with them? Yep. That's just the whole That's book. That's Deuteronomy. Yes, Deuteronomy is uh, like I say, it's Moses' monologue, his swan song before he dies. At the end of the book, he dies. You know, it all all the uh, literally it could have been spoken by Moses in one. I don't know, hour or two speech, you know. Now, whether or not it was, I don't know, but the, that's it. There's, there's almost no action in Deuteronomy. It's almost all recollections, you know. And so it's, um, it's a great way to end the Torah because it, it serves to reinforce the stuff that you may or may not have picked up reading the Torah, the rest of it, you know. But it also shows you, it shows, in my opinion, it shows you, Moses' heart, and it shows you God's heart, because Moses and God were pretty close. And when Moses, you know, Moses spoke for God a while earlier, where you remember that one sentence where God says, Moses said, God said, "Oh, that my people would just obey me." You know, you could just you could just see him saying that. You could just say, "Oh, I just wish they would understand this." Well, you know, the interesting thing though that's new in in the retelling at the end is the song of Moses oh, and yeah. and it's still the song of Moses that the kids is that poem mm -hmm. and it's supposed it's pretty much a dirge but you know <laughs> yeah it's not, not a, but not a real happy it's thing. not a real happy thing because yep. you think of a song as you know we'll get there yeah so it's interesting that yes. he does give that at the end mm -hmm. Paul's got something <laughs> you didn't you didn't know that, huh? Oh man. Now you don't have to come anymore. <laughs> That's funny. That's funny. Let me close in prayer. Father God, thank you for the evening. Thank you for again for your Torah. Thank you for the beauty of the book of Deuteronomy. Help us to think on these things and to just consider some of the things that Moses asked us to consider as we go through our week until we meet together next week. In Yeshua's name. Amen. Thanks very much for coming. Thank you, Jerry. Thank all you people out there in Facebook land or...